Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Listener questions live on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. It's Friday. It's where you get to sound off. Send us questions, and let's get let's get the holiday weekend started off right. I'm Anthony. He's John. He, by the way, John not only shows up with new lighting for those of you watching the video. Beautiful, beautiful lighting. He's on time. I'm running behind. It's just kind of the mo of the show, John. Uh, Happy July, what is it, July 2nd? Happy July 2nd to you as we get into the holiday. Happy July 2nd. Happy early July 4th weekend. Uh, yes, we, we've gotten some complaints in the past about my lighting specifically. Uh, we've done this for three years. I've done Bengals video content for five years. My lighting has always been piss poor. I only just upgraded audio like two years ago. So now we're, we have a professional camera. We have a professional microphone. We got professional lighting. We're, we're, we're three for three. We No more complaints on the on the quality part from my end. All we need are professional hosts, right? Or a, a professional yeah. host, just singular. It's the hardest thing to find, honestly. You can't <laughs> really out. You have to outsource that, I guess. Speaking of that, before we get to questions, uh, there was some news that came about the Dallas Cowboys were nominated as the team to be highlighted on NFL's Hard Knocks on HBO. Um, and John, you ever you ever have just a, a day where you're like, it's it just, I guess, for lack of better better words, brain farts galore. Like, you know, you hear news and you're like, dude, I knew that. Why why didn't I come out and seem like I already knew that? Someone reminds you of something. That's what happened to me with Joe Reedy, who used to write for the Cincinnati Inquirer and cover the Bengals. He reminded me about the, you know, the timeline of when a team can be Back on hard knocks, all that kind of stuff. But before we kind of tee up the the questions from listeners, uh, do you have any thoughts on the Cowboys being on hard knocks? Are you interested at all in that storyline and that team being on the show? It seems like they w- would have been on it a lot more frequently in years past, but I don't seem to remember the last time they have been on it. I know it's been going on for like twenty years. And I'm sure they were on it in like sometime in the in the two thousands, but I feel like it's been a while since they have been. And that's a little bit surprising considering their brand and their following. But, you know, it's it's following Dak Prescott's recovery. Um, I, I think there's like some chess storyline between some players, which maybe they'll get into. And then following, I guess, Jerry Jones on his on his yacht, one of his many yachts, maybe. So it'd be <laughs> some good content. Yeah. And you've got I think you you may have touched on a little bit there the, the return of Dak and Zeke trying to kind of get back to superstardom after, you know, a couple of years based on injuries around him, you know, trying to get back to form and CD lamb and, you know, a lot of, a lot of different interesting characters and storylines with that, even though that is a team at an arm's length, so to speak with the Cincinnati Bengals, but that came across the wire this morning. All right. So we're going to get to it. We've got some texts already coming in. We've got some comments on threads coming in. We've got emails, all that stuff. So get to us. You can call or text 949-542-6241. Get in touch with us there. You can email us, theobinsider at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter at BanglesOBI or at Cincy Jungle or even at John double underscore Sheeran. He's been uh, fielding some questions there as well. And then, of course, we've got the live chats on Cincy Jungle's Facebook, our OBI YouTube thread, and the post on Cincy Jungle that uh, is up and, and running there. So get us questions how you can. I've been yammering on and on, so I'm going to let you bat lead off here, John. What what question do you want to get to first? So we're going to go to the Cincy Jungle 
uh, live comment thread, and you can Either post one. questions on, on there as well. This is from Excel Hearts Koi. Um, he's asking if Zach Toast's performance has been so bad, which is a reference to Mike Lombardi's comments recently. How come he hasn't lost the locker room? I watched some of his post game press conferences last season. I wouldn't call them inspiring, yet players seem genuinely excited and want to remain with the team. Bates comes to mind. What gives? Um, Anthony, you want to answer this? This is a fantastic question. Uh, I, this, I'm glad you you found this one. Here's here's something I thought of. Okay, in the latter years with Marvin Lewis, and I, I've I've been an unabashed uh, just guy who is supported what Marvin Lewis built with the Bengals. Obviously I know he never got over the hump and all that kind of stuff, but what he was able to achieve with the Bengals based on the previous generation, I give him a ton of credit. A lot of players say a lot of different culture changes took place under Marvin Lewis. However, in the last few years of Marvin Lewis, every time there was a press conference and as the losses kind of piled up, the injuries piled up, John, if you watch some of those press conferences, he became agitated. He seemed tired. He seemed just kind of, I don't want to. I don't want to say this necessarily and put words in his mouth or whatever. But he just kind of seemed a little bit disinterested. Um, and now you've got. To me, I think what's maybe inspiring some of these players. Maybe they're just kind of doing a little player speak to prop up their coach that has been struggling. But the thing that I notice, Zach Taylor, regardless of the losses, regardless of the types of losses has shown, continues to show confidence, continues to show confidence in his own abilities as a coach, in the abilities of his staff, and in the abilities of the players in that locker room. And not only that, he just, he kind of has this, uh, you know, this youthful energy that maybe was lacking in the last few years prior to him coming to Cincinnati. And I think the players feed off of that. He has also brought in certain players that he knows fit his culture and what he wants in that locker room. A guy like Mike Daniels, he's hung on to some Marvin Lewis guys that he really values. So, you know, I, I that those are the things to me that kind of stick out as to why he hasn't lost the locker room amid all these losses. The, the answer that comes to mind, and I, I think – I always go back to Mike Daniels' answer when he was on with us uh, back in the spring. I, I think his relationship and communication with his veteran players and just the players that he's brought in, I think that's one of the main reasons why he still has ample amounts of respect there. The results, if they continue to pile up in a negative way, like that respect is going to continue to dwindle and they're going to have to find another solution. And that, I think, in a lot of people's minds is inevitable based off of his lack of track record and obviously his lack of success through two seasons so far. But I think the one thing that I've always heard about players is that they can smell bullshit from a mile away, right? If you come in here and you're just, you're faking it and you're not putting your, you know, you're not walking the walk, even though you're talking the talk. I think that is what turns off players the most. And that is where you lead to situations where there's, there's chaos and there's anarchy and there's a lack of leadership. And that eventually leads to the coach getting fired. Now that's important for Zach Taylor to not do because he doesn't have that pedigree behind him coming into Cincinnati. But I think from everything that we've heard, he's been the exact opposite of that. He's been true to his word. He's been open to adapting his process. He comes with his own structure and ideals, but he's willing to work off of the the input from other veterans and other coaches as well. And I think that open-mindedness is what allows him to, to gain the respect from some of these players, even though they've only had six wins in two years. Now, again, the results have to continue to follow that, but I think the lack of, of, the, of the BS that, that maybe we, we kind of saw towards the end of the Marvin Lewis era, I think that is the biggest difference and why there's still respect for him. But again, the results still have to come and there's only been two years left. And obviously going back to 2005, the Bengals, in the first two years of Marvin Lewis, they were eight and eight for both years. They didn't make the playoffs in either year. And, you know, there was no indication that Marvin Lewis was ever going to turn into the personality that he eventually turned in, in the late 20, in the late 2010s. And we don't know what is going to be like 15 years from now. Um, if the Zach Taylor era is continuing in Cincinnati or if he's somewhere else, we all know what type of head coach and what type of person he's going to be in his fifties. But re- like you said, he's young, he's charismatic. And I think he's very open-minded. And I think that resonates very well with the veterans. I, yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, there are some examples, but I think some of it it has to do with maybe some of his um, assistant coaches. You know, there are some 
players who became disgruntled. Carlos Dunlap was was one, and I think that was kind of a two way street. And you know, there there are some examples of not everything's perfect, but he does seem to have the guys and the, the support of the guys in the locker room. There was kind of a a little bit of an eyebrow raising move with the Gio Bernard situation this past this past offseason or this offseason rather a lot of people thought thought that he would stick around even with the team paying a lot of money to running backs a lot of people thought he would still stick around because he was a valued guy in this locker room and and seemed to have Zach Taylor's support so um, but I mean there, there are examples but for the most part he doesn't seem to have lost many people uh there was one here uh, apparently my opinion does not matter on this one, John, from Doug, <laughs> Doug McMenamin. By the way, Doug, if you see this, if you follow me on Twitter, there's this kind of cartoony version of my on my profile picture. Doug ran my picture, I guess, through uh, some sort of app um, that, that did this, and I thought it was kind of cool looking, so I've made it my profile picture. He's sent me a couple of them that are kind of cool. But anyway, Doug asks, Anthony, can you ask John if he has heard what the Bengals plan to do with the cap space they have remaining? Yeah, because I definitely have a yeah, rock solid source. Yeah, um, I, I think it's just going to be Bates and Hubbard with yeah. in that order in terms of priority. It's going to cost a pretty penny, I guess, to retain both of them with how they traditionally do extensions. They're going to give them year one roster bonuses. They're going to give them slight raise in base salaries. That's why they didn't spend up to the, the cap limit in this offseason. They have like $18 million remaining. I think both of them combined is going to use about $10 million. They're going to get to that $8 million mark, which is where they usually are during the season, gives them some flexibility, and they're not right up against the cap. It's going to be those two guys. I agree with you. I do think, I, you know, I don't necessarily believe that there are going to be any humongous or high-priced, you know, additions. I think, obviously, knock on wood, and we've seen it with this team, unfortunately, in recent history, injuries occur. And uh, the Bengals will probably make some moves, whether it's in season or, you know, if they happen during preseason, they may make some moves. They're probably going to be scouring the waiver wire at uh, final cuts as well. There may be a couple of players available there that they like, especially some ones that may, you know, they may see in the preseason in, in some capacity or another. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the big money will be spent on Bates and or Hubbard in terms of extending those guys. And John, we know that the team likes to get their core players re-signed before they hit free agency the following spring. They like to try and get it done then. That way they don't have, not only they avoid the headaches and the frenzy potentially with their star players or their valued players, but also we've seen that they're able to kind of get a little bit more of a team friendly deal uh, when it's a little earlier on than when the frenzy comes uh, and, and the high demand comes for a lot of players in the spring. And I don't think it's a coincidence that both Bates and Hubbard in the last year, their deals, but they were in the photo shoot with the New Jersey's. They are core players. They expect them to be around for multiple years. We're going to go to Facebook here from Matthew Steinmetz. I believe I'm saying that last name correctly. Uh, this is interesting. Do you guys think Chase T Higgins and Boyd can be a better triple threat than Chad, TJ, and Slim. I feel like we've talked about comparing these trios before when they first became an official trio in April, but I think it's an interesting question to revisit again. I do as well. And I, I, I will say this. I think that it will be the, – the, the parallels are crazy in, in terms of how similar these trios can be. And I think if one is better than the other, I don't think it's by a wide margin at all. I That being said, I think that the potential for Chase, T, and Boyd, we know, we know Boyd has now become one of the best slot receivers in the game. That's what TJ was as well. But, you know, it took, it took TJ a couple of years, like it did with Boyd too. But, uh, you know, I, I think Boyd now is really ascending as one of the best slot players in the game. I think T. Higgins, we've talked about him a lot. I think he is poised to take the next leap in his career after a really, really solid rookie season. And Jamar Chase can be a go-to guy. I mean, I I, I guess just uh, seeing what, what recent – how I guess the recency bias with it, I would say maybe there is potential that this trio could be better. But, I mean, you go back to – those three and it was it was crazy the one thing that i think about 
that hindered the possible production with Chad, TJ, and Henry is all the missed time that Chris Henry had. And the fact, obviously, that, uh, you know, tragically, his life and his football career ended very, very prematurely. But Chris Henry missed a lot of time. So I think that that hinders the productivity of that trio. And a lot of people forget, everybody remembers Chris Henry, and rightfully so. He was a very athletic guy, exciting football player. Kelly Washington, who was the number, you know, another outside guy that played with TJ and Chad, he was a pretty productive player for his first couple of seasons with the team as well before Chris Henry came. So, I mean, the Bengals were able to kind of use a couple of different players. I think overall, though, the athletic profiles and and everything of Chase T and Boyd, I mean, I know the other guys are athletic too, but um, the potential is there to really, really be an amazing trio of wide receivers. I think the difference here is like TJ was barely drafted. He was almost undrafted. Yeah. Chris Henry was a mid third round pick. Chad was a second round pick, but you have to remember like he was not that highly touted as a prospect. He had a terrible combine. He, had he was some, a Juco guy too, I think. I think he started off in Juco and then transferred. Right. So like none of these guys were bona fide first round picks. Like yeah. T Higgins easily could have been a first round pick. Jamar Chase was the first receiver taken in his draft. And Tyler Boyd was a consensus like day two player. Like the talent for these for this new trio, I think from where they are right now, it exceeds even the talent of, of those guys. And it's not even a direct comparison. Like obviously you have Boyd and Hushmanzada as your slot guys. Like Henry is this it was six three and he could run like a four three easily. He was just a burner. Like that that's not really Jamar Chase, just like Jamar Chase is not really Chad Johnson. Like the T. Higgins and Jamar Chase duo is not entirely comparable with Chad and Henry. Like the, the attributes and the qualities are a little bit different. But in terms of potential production, absolutely they absolutely they can they can eclipse what that trio did. Like like you said with Henry, he missed a lot of time. He only played fifty five games from between two thousand five and two thousand nine when the whole trio was together after that 05 season. He only had like 1,800 yards compared to TJ's 4,000 yards. And Chad almost had 6,000 yards in five seasons, which was the, the pace that he was on. The production can absolutely eclipse that because these guys are going to be together for th- at least three or four years now and probably more because they're going to want a couple of those guys extended in a few years fr- from now. But I think I think just the difference in just raw talent in terms of these guys being really young and drafted really high and being great college players, I think that almost gives them an edge and then pairing them with an equally talented or even a, a greater quarterback in Joe Burrow compared to Carson Palmer. I, I think the sky's the limit for them and there's no reason why they can't eclipse what that previ- previously uh, trio did. Yeah. And there's also the similarity of a, a high, highly productive running back when healthy Rudy Johnson, Joe Mixon, the issue is the offensive line that the the early 2000s, mid 2000s Bengals had a, a pretty solid offensive line, if not a very, very good one. And this unit has a lot to prove currently. Just piggybacking quickly on that one, John, look at this one from Justin Money 513. What about the trio from 2015 talking about A.J. Green, Marvin Jones and Mohamed Sanu? I love that trio. I love that trio mm-hmm. and all the things that those guys brought. Um, they, I, I, I do think... In some ways, there was a little bit of overachieving from a guy, especially from a guy like Mohamed Sanu, because when you looked at his college tape, his inability to separate uh, from from, you know, at Rutgers not playing, you know, in the SEC or whatever, there was a lot of inability to separate on college film. So you thought, man, is this guy going to be able to do things in the NFL? But he used his strength. He used his route running ability and he and. Kudos to Hugh Jackson and Marvin Lewis for letting him do a lot of different things in the offense, throwing the football and end arounds and all kinds of different things. So I think Mohamed Sanu uh, may have overachieved a little bit in some facets, and Marvin Jones did as well based on where he was drafted, but another great trio. Got both of them paid, too, and then in their second contracts. Yep. So And Marvin's, Marvin's still getting a bag in Jacksonville, so he's had, like you said, a great career for a fifth-round pick. Yeah, yeah. Did you pick that last one? I did, yes. Okay. Uh, I think we had a text that I wanted to get to here. Let me pull that up for you again. You can reach us via call or text 949-542-6241 on a number of different live chats that we've got going. The OBI YouTube, Cincy Jungle Facebook, the post on Cincy Jungle. You can get us on Twitter. Get us via email, theobinsider at gmail.com. All right. This is from 513. How do all the free agents and defensive draft picks fit into Lou's scheme? There's been heavy investments into this defense. Anything less than top 15 would be disappointing. Should we expect much improvement? What style of D do you, 
do you see them playing? Uh, I'll let you start off with that one. I don't know if we want to go each player, you know, each guy player by player, but I think we can kind of give a, a bird's eye view of, of things here based on this question. Yeah. So in, in terms of just like the overall progress that, that they expect to just make from last year to this year, they have, they have a lot of solid talent. I think they have more depth than they had last year. And I think that was such a pivotal point of emphasis from this off season because they they experienced such travesties in terms of injuries and loss of depth at multiple positions last year. I think replacing Mike Hilton with Mackenzie Alexander was one of the biggest positives from this off season. Even if Mackenzie Alexander was still a solid player, Mike Hilton is one of the better slot cornerbacks in the game. I think it's almost countered by like replacing uh, Trey Hendrickson or excuse me, replacing Carl Lawson with Trey Hendrickson. Like it's a lot of just going back and forth and kind of netting out to be zero, but they can't be as bad as they have been in the past couple of years. It's just not sustainable. They've been a bottom five defense ever since Santa room was gotten here. I don't think the scheme is going to change that much. If anything, I think the, the scheme is just going to remain the same because he's had three years in the system and he's gotten all those guys to best fit his system and best utilize it. I don't think it's going to change as much as I think some people would wanted to or expected to. I think now is at the point where the personnel is there to maximize whatever scheme that he wants to run. I think it's going to remain mostly the same. I think the whole goal is to just get this defense to be average. If they can just be average and not force the offense to score 30 points a game, which they absolutely could based off of their own personnel, but just to give them a chance if the offense does have a bad day, to, to give them a fighting chance. Like, they don't have to be these kings of turnovers. They don't have to sack the quarterback 60 times. Just don't don't be in a position where you're giving up 20 consecutive completions to Baker Mayfield at home. Don't be in a position where you're giving up 400 rushing yards to the Baltimore Ravens at home. You can't have those terrible down bad games. And I think that was a lot because they just got ravaged with injuries and lack of depth. I think that was the biggest point of emphasis. And I think for the most part, they solved it. That's... Yeah, injuries, injuries for sure are the the big thing that they need to improve upon in order for this defense to be respectable. And I think that, in a way, I hate to I hate to look at it this way, but it almost seemed as if they're like, well, we're gonna we're gonna plan that we're gonna get ravaged by injury again because we are going to really stack up at certain position groups um, and and make sure that we're not trotting out guys five six down on the depth chart into starting positions and or high rotational roles. But I think the injury thing is huge. But as we've also said, John, this is now at Lou Anarumo's feet to get this thing to be respectable at least. Because to your point, he has his guys. You know, Ricardo Allen, let's just use him for an example. That's a guy he knew from college, right? Uh, I, I, and, and there are other players on this roster. He had brought in a BW web. He's brought in Eli Apple. Now a guy he knew with the giants. I mean, there are a lot of Lou Anarumo connections on this defense with the, his players. So like you said, I don't expect the scheme we have seen from the past two years to be very different. I think you're going to see a lot of rotation up front. You're going to see some subs and uh, maybe light on the linebacker play heavy in the secondary in terms of personnel there. But I, I mean, the the key is now that's year three. Anarumo has largely his guys, and the excuses are going to be running out for him if this defense continues to put up just poor performance after poor performance. And I think the guys that they still have, like they're fine in the current format of the defense. Jesse Bates is one of the very best deep center field safeties in the league. That's exactly what this what this defense is and what type of coverage that they particularly patrol Von Bell's great in the box. He's going to continue being there. They have cornerbacks that are ideal for the, for the coverages that, that they want to run. And they just have a bunch of frenetic pass rushers. The pieces are there. It's just a matter of getting the most out of them and keeping them on the field, but sticking on the defensive side of the ball, we're going to go to Twitter for this next question from our own buddy Dalton signature, any prospective free agent linebackers that we should keep an eye out for in terms of free agency. I would need to look at the list of currently available guys. Um, I mean, I know Josh Bynes is still out there unsigned, and he was a guy they valued from a leadership perspective and everything. But, John, we talked about this group. We previewed this group this this week uh, a couple of days ago on our show, and 
I don't really I, – I, it seems as if this team has a high amount of faith in the young guys that they have there. And whether that's for special teams purposes, the growth that they think they're going to see in year two, some things that they saw in year one, I don't really see – um, you know, I, I'll, I'll pull up a list here and see if I can see some names just because that was off the cuff a little bit. But the list know, is I, not pretty. I'll tell you that. Right yeah, now. I, I don't think there is many. And I think really that what they're going to do, this is that's probably an area for final cuts, you know, summertime preseason cuts, that sort of thing. I think that those are that's that's a position they may look at to kind of get a little bit of cheap talent. Maybe a veteran guy gets released that isn't expected to at this point. But if you've got the list in front of you, um, you know, I, I think we'd, we'd love to hear it. There's just no one on here that gets you even remotely excited. Like I know when Trey Turner was available, that's all anyone talked about on offensive line because he had a history with making Pro Bowls and draft status. There's nothing really that signifies that here. I think Quan Alexander might be available. I don't know if this is updated or not, but he's got injury issues. KJ Wright, he's in his mid-30s. I think he's still available. Avery Williamson, who's with the Jets and the Steelers recently, he's available. Someone here that moves the needle at all. And I think going back to like last year when they traded for Austin Calitro, he was a name. He had experience. He had interest from the coaching staff for the course of months. He'd never even made the team or he never even played it down for them. He never really made that much of an impact. That's, That's the nature of this position specifically in the later parts of the offseason. They have eight guys right now. I don't think they're going to add another one to make it nine. And I don't think there's anyone really out there that's worth investing in. Unless, like you said, there's a surprise cut and final cuts and they pick someone up the waiver wire. They're still fifth and on the pecking order there. So there's an option. There's a chance for that, especially if they go through preseason, they recognize that some of these guys are not developing as quickly as they want. They need a quick answer. Maybe injuries pop up. Other than that, like there's no one, available right now that anyone should say yes sign this guy immediately yeah and I'd, I'd almost rather make sure that you know the the other layers of the defense are I think they've taken pretty well care of the secondary I think they're pretty deep maybe didn't maybe not star power but they've got a lot of depth and solid depth in the secondary they kind of did some things on the on the defensive line to shore up some things but um you know I think I, I would like to if some injuries hit or, you know, there's some question marks there, I'd kind of like to see them, you know, replenish that area of the defense if they were to go anywhere there. Before we get to some more questions, John, we got to tell the folks about our friends over at Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L, uh, and the website, S-I-M-B-U-L-L.app backslash OBI, going there and signing up with the promo code OBI, get you $10 credit. What does the credit go to? Well, it goes to your investing into teams because Symbol is the stock market for sports and you can invest in the Cincinnati Bengals. You can invest in other teams should you see fit. You can invest in other sports if you want, but the bottom line is you can invest in teams, make money off teams, even teams that you are a fan of, right, John? Exactly. Whether it be NFL teams, MLB teams, NBA teams, and starting, I think, yesterday officially, college football teams. I think right now, Symbol only has Power 5 teams. So if you're invested in the Sim Bearcats, they don't yet exist. But if you're invested, interested in the Sim Buckeyes, I think they are at a price of $70. And these reflect, I believe, 10% off the first 50 shares for each team for college football. That just launched this week on Symbol.app. But if you want to stick with the professionals, NFL, MLB teams, NBA teams, these prices move up and down based off of user activity because it is the stock market for sports. And it really is that simple. If you want to make a long-term investment in a professional team that you think is on the rise over the next couple of years, buy a share of whatever team that you want on symbol.app. It really is that simple. And you can use the promo code OBI when you go to symbol.app backslash OBI to get $10 off of your first deposit. Go to the website, take advantage. Good stuff. Uh, let's get to our buddy Brian in Iowa, um, who, though he took a little shot at at uh, people in California. I'll, I'll I'll show this one first. He said, "My coworker outside of LA is a meaty white guy who wears sports gear and trucker hats. Is that a uniform there? No, it's not. So uh, I don't know. I guess I'm I do a little bit of that, but I, I I wear other clothes, Brian. I swear. If that was a little shot at me, but that's okay." We're still going to get you here. What's your favorite classic Bengals games or game to watch on YouTube? Unfortunately, my personal time, I don't get like a full 
hour and a half, three hours to just sit and watch YouTube, just the way my life is constructed. But every once in a while, when I need to feel good about things, John, when I need to feel good about the Bengals, I go back and watch some games and a couple that always seem to be in the rotation for me. The 2015 game against Seattle at home with the Mike Nugent doink, if you remember <laughs> that one, and the 9 comeback win against the Steelers with Brian Leonard being the hero. Those are the those are the ones that I go to, at least in my own personal repertoire. I'm going to have to watch that Steelers game. I, I don't think I've ever rewatched it. I just have memories of watching it in person, and the Andre Caldwell touchdown comes to mind in that one. The game that I've seen a couple times on YouTube that comes to mind is the 2013 game against the Packers. I was also there. It was the most roller coaster of a Bengals game that I've ever witnessed with my own two eyes. They were up, they were down, they came back. I didn't get to listen to the Dave Lapham call live, but I always like matching that audio up with the actual um, the video of of the actual play because why wouldn't you want to listen to Dave Lapham scream his guts out? It was fantastic. It was a crazy wild experience. And I think I remember saving that. I remember downloading that game file from like the old game pass when it was called like NFL rewind. And I had it on my, like my iPad. I remember watching it in the car on like a family road trip. It was just like the condensed version for 40 minutes, but it, it always gets your heart kind of going, going up and down getting getting to pumping a little bit, but it was that, that game always comes to mind as a game that I just like to rewatch. Yeah. And there's the, uh, you know, three chiefs and all, all there, there are a bunch in there that kind of, like you said, get the, uh, yeah, Brian, that's what Brian just said. He, I was going to ask him what, what his own question was there. I like watching Chad guarantee over the undefeated chiefs before we get to some more. We've got, we've got Terrell time, John Terrell's on the line. <laughs> What's going on Terrell? Hey guys. Going? Good man. Uh, happy early fourth to you. Good. Oh, you too, man. I'm traveling down in Tennessee. Oh, uh, wow. And, uh, um, and they and they big time Tennessee Titan fans too. So Uh-oh. I'm gonna have to uh, try to wear much as Bengals uh, gear I can. But uh, man, uh, man, just everything feeling exciting, man. Just with the uh, Bengals and ain't wait to training camp and preseason. And piggyback what y'all were saying about the uh, current state of the roster. I think I believe. Uh, I think it's just fine. Um, the the lineman, I know people want um, a, a couple good uh, better linemen, but I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm cool with the movie guy because I don't want to wrestle no shoulders and um, be a, a rearrange the line that they already been messed up as. But uh, one, two quick things I wanted to say: uh, this this is the last year of Zach Taylor pass. <laughs> yeah. Yep. This is the last year. I mean, he, he got his players. He got his players he wanted. Most of Marvin guys are gone. Um, not to say that, we, you know, Lou was the first one. We all know. But, uh, and the other thing I want to say, uh, what type of offense and maybe defense are we going to – I mean, what type of offense? Like, are we going to be a run-and-shoot team? Are we going to be a balance? Are we going to be a running game or a passing team or three three uh, receivers? Like, what, what's going on? Well, and I'm um, out with a, a happy Fourth of July and have a good weekend. All right, you as well, man. Safe travels down to Tennessee. There, we'll take your your questions and comments off the air. Always good to hear from you. Here, that was uh, Terrell, and uh, always great to hear from him uh, calling in the show. And uh, if you have not called in the show, do it. Uh, we 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 love callers. We try to get to as many calls as we can. So. Um, Give us a call, 542-6241, or if you're shy, text, use the chats, whatever. John, uh, I you know I want to focus in on, because we haven't really talked about this too much yet, we, we've kind of focused in on Lou Anarumo, the defense, Lou Anarumo. Yeah, Terrell said he feels that Zach Taylor is kind of in that Lou Anarumo realm of, hey, I've got, you know, you're three. I've got my guys. I've got, you know, the excuses are running thin, but I want to specifically – hone in on the offense, the system they're going to run, and what you think this is going to look like this year. We talked about the trio of wide receivers. Joe Mixon now, their Geo gone. I mean, I don't know. What, do you, what are you expecting in terms of sights from this, from this offense and its system? I think for the most part, when the last two seasons began, we saw the blueprint of what Zach Taylor wants it to be, and then stuff happens, injuries happen, players aren't as good as you expect them to be, and then adjustments have to be made, and then it's this more simplified 
more condensed version of what the offense wants to be. And obviously things change dramatically when you had to put Brandon Allen under center compared to when you had Joe Burrow, but even going back to Andy Dalton, I remember just that Seahawks game and how everything was, it was very vertical, very spread out. And then as the season kind of wore on and then the offensive line kind of unbecame itself, you know, they had to do a, a crap ton of adjustments. They had to go max protection a lot because they just had to compensate for the lack of talent. I think the biggest thing now, and this kind of goes back to what Terrell said with the roster being good with what it is, if they stay relatively healthy and these guys are as good as they prop them up to be, you won't see that much of an adjustment from what the offense truly wants to be and what, what its identity is. Like for the last two years, the running game has completely evolved in the middle of both seasons going from, from this primary zone scheme to more of a power scheme, just based off what the personnel can and can't do. If you have a competent enough offensive line now that can get out into space and reach their landmarks in time, you're going to see the run game that they've envisioned with Joe Mixon for the last two years now, now with new offensive line coach and new run game coordinator, who's maybe more along the same vision with, with what Zach Taylor wants to do. But a lot of zone, a lot of empty 11 personnel with a lot of quick concept routes, a lot of, a lot of things that you saw Joe Burrow do well in LSU. I think they want to keep that and keep growing off of that. And yeah, I, I think now is the year for that to just maintain the course over a full 17 game ski, um, schedule instead of having to deal with unfortunate injuries and just guys not being as good as they expected them to be. Yeah, we're going to get to a call here in just a second. Uh, let's, let's pull this up. I want to continue on that conversation, but I don't want to lose this call here. So uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? Hey, it's Jason Bonstein. Jason, doing? what's going on, bud? Hey, no much. I just wanted to call and thank you. I haven't had a chance to thank you. Thank you, I guess, Community Watch. So oh, yeah, that was fun. That. Yeah, that was fun, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, also, I wanted to say, last year I drew a picture of you guys, and the hardest part of it was figuring out the eye color. So <laughs> now that you got this fancy camera, I can see what's going on. John, there's a skeleton that's hanging out behind you, buddy. I don't know if you know. But, <laughs> but good job. I love the improvements. I just wanted to call and thank you guys. I so. appreciate it, Jason. Thanks for giving us a platform too on the Uni Watch to uh, to talk about our show and talk about a charity that I run. So uh, appreciate it. Always appreciate you you tuning in and giving us a call, man. Uh, any any questions or comments you want to leave us with before you you bounce on out about the Bengals? No, nah, you guys are the best. Just <laughs> want to tell you guys you're the best. Thank you very I'll much. I'll take that. That's the best uh, call ever. That's the best comment we could receive. Thanks, Jason. Um, but going going back here, uh, that I, I wanted to pull something up here. You know, one one facet that I don't think is talked about a ton is we're we're talking about T Higgins. We're talking about Joe Mixon and reestablishing the ground game. We're talking about you know zone schemes and all of this. I think what we're going to do or what we're going to see a bit more of, especially with Gio now not on the team and being that pass catcher, I think you're going to see Joe Mixon. He's not the same build as Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but you're going to see a lot of the outlet options uh, used as an outlet option in the passing game quite a bit more frequently, like you saw Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at LSU in that amazing season that that team and Joe Burrow had and Edwards-Hilaire had. You look at the 2019 stats, John, uh, for for Edwards-Hilaire, he had 215 attempts on the ground, uh, over 1,400 yards, 16 rushing touchdowns. But John, 55 catches, 55 catches, only one touchdown. But we know Joe Mixon is an able receiver. We know once he gets his hands on the ball, uh, he can he can blow by people, run them over, all that sort of thing. So I think that's a facet that not a lot of people are talking about is Joe Mixon in the receiving game. You know, you've got these three wide receivers, and now you've got just an additional outlet. If there's a lot of attention paid to those wide receivers, you can have Joe Mixon out there just for a little dump off and uh, make a play. It's going to be the biggest difference with Mixon. It's not just him carrying the ball more, but it's him used out wide on on, on those alignments and whether or not he gets targeted or not, it's something that the defense has to account for. It gives away what um, type of defense that they're playing if they go match up man to man. And um, but yeah, like I think that's going to be the biggest difference. And with how successful Clyde Edwards Alaire was in that role, it's very easy to see the similarities in terms of the movement skills. Even though the builds are a little bit different between the two of them, like they both play a similar style of football, um, just very elusive. Um, and just very quick in general. And also LSU had another running back. I believe his name was like Tyrion Davis Price. He was like 6'1", 230, which kind of matches what Samaj Piran mm-hmm. is. I think that is 
what they kind of envisioned, like Piran taking more of a bulldozer role, taking some of those tough carries and giving Mixon more opportunities and more snaps to be in space out wide. Agreed. And these, uh, for those tuning in live or, and or watching the video after the fact, these are the pictures that Jason Von Stein, our caller, uh, our last caller referenced pictures of us. <laughs> Pretty cool stuff. Uh, you know, um, uh, you you've got Rand, you got Randall in the background of your of yours with the Joe Burrow shirt on Randall with mm-hmm. the Joey B shirt on I like that um, but uh, Jason's a great guy been a big supporter of the show from day one and we appreciate that speaking of if you do support the show which uh, hopefully you do and you like what we're doing uh, just a little call to action if you would if you are if you prefer to watch this show on YouTube please give us a thumbs up gives us a little bit more visibility on the channel within the YouTube sphere and then of course if you listen to the audio after the fact on your favorite streamer leave us a rating hopefully a good one and uh just get us a tiny bit more exposure we like our ego stroked a little bit so if you can do that for us that would be awesome john uh i think i'm gonna let you pick uh the next one we've only got a couple more i think we're gonna get to and then bounce out but it there was there was one intense one i don't know if you want to get to that one um or if you see another out there let's let's get to it I wanted to get to John with no H in the YouTube comment section from about a half hour ago. He's asking who could be a surprise cut before the season starts and who could be a surprise player who makes the team. Who I'm trying to look for that question so I can pin it on the, um, we was asked in two nineteen. 11, 19 your time. Okay. eleven nineteen my time. I'll check it out. Uh, you know, Oh yeah. Our buddy, John. I, I, John, yeah, great guy. Uh, look, I, I don't, I don't know if I see, I, I see something kind of funky maybe happening at the back end of the receiving group. Um, hmm. Whether one of those, one of those, you know, a Trent Taylor, you know, ends up sneaking on, or um, you know, something there is going to be confusing. Maybe even running back with the Chris Evans and Puka Williams additions this year there could be some interesting stuff there we talked about how both of those guys could potentially be used as a kind of an antonio gibson type of role a running back slash wide receiver puka williams and chris evans and i think the Bengals are planning to utilize them in roles like that to maybe maximize the roster and utilize those players respective strengths so you know, I'm not ready to say specific players I think could be surprise cuts. There's also a lot of depth in the secondary and on the defensive line. So there could be some, uh, you know, a movement, a move there that you go, oh man, really? Uh, but I, I kind of see wide receiver and running back shaping up to be interesting battles going into preseason. And you may see a guy sneak on that you didn't expect and or a guy that you hope that the team would have hung on to that they do not. Brian and Iowa had my boldest one that I was saving in the reserves for maybe a month or now, but Kevin Huber, maybe just something to think about with Drew Chrisman in mm-hmm. a, on a three-year deal and Kevin Huber on, on a one-year deal. Don't think it's going to happen, but it's something worth mentioning as a bold thing to watch for. But I'll give you, I'll, I'll give them two potential surprising cuts and one potential uh, guy to make the roster. I think starting an offensive line, I think Xavier Suofilo is going to kind of have to watch out for his job. I think he's, Probably on the on the outside looking in at left guard right now. I think Quinn Spain had the starting reps at that position during OTAs. Um, I think Suofield was still starting at right guard, but that right guard seems to be the position that they want Jackson Carmen to develop into. So Suofilo could look at himself as potentially the first guard off the bench, which is not a problem if you're Xavier Suofilo. But if they feel like they would rather cut him to to make room for other guys, younger guys on the roster, I could definitely see that. And one of those younger guys could be Michael Jordan. I think people are writing him off as a guy that's not going to make the roster at all. I'm not ready to say that definitively. I would like to see what progress he's made this offseason. I would like to see what Frank Pollock does with him. Just 23 years old. Obviously, I'm not expecting him to start by any means, but I don't think that he's off the roster entirely as a backup. And I think if they had the choice to keep him or Xavier Suofilo as a backup, as a reserve, I think that very much could be a coin flip. And it really does depend on what... um, Michael Jordan does and what he did over the offseason. And on defense, Josh Tubo could be a surprise cut, I guess, just because he's a veteran, but they're really deep at nose tackle right now. I'd imagine they want him to have Tyler Shelvin make the roster, and it might come down to him and Rennell Wren, and Wren's got a, a few years in terms of age on him. So maybe on defense, Josh Tupo's a name to watch. Yeah, Tupo didn't play last year, too. Opted out of the season, and I, I'm really excited 
slash interested to see how Jackson Carmen performs when it comes time to put the pads on, to, to run actual blocking schemes and, you know, see, see where he's at in a new position for him. I'm pretty excited about that at right guard. Maybe he, maybe he struggles early on. Maybe he ends up playing well there and then ultimately becomes a pretty good tackle for the team if that's in their long-term plans. But I am excited to see what he can do um, with with the Bengals. And, and once the pads come on, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, there was one – I guess I'll, I'll try and hold it till the end because it's a it's a gnarly one, and I don't know if I'm smart enough to answer it correctly. Um, let's see if we – okay, here's a good one from Dre, 513 text. I've always thought Sam Hubbard was slightly overrated. What type of contract extension can you imagine him receiving? I, like you said, I think that he's going to be one of their core guys that they try and re-sign this year. Um, overrated? It kind of depends on – you know, how, how you view him. I mean, he's kind of this second edge player, you know, I mean, he's, he's the second or third best edge player on, on the team, but he's valuable in the, in, you know, a rotational role or a, you know, he, he does some things that are valuable to the defense. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily view him as overrated. Maybe that changes depending on the contract that we're talking about that he may receive. I've been wrestling with this question a lot. I think there were, reports about him getting something over 10 million a year on average which if you look at the top edge contracts in the nfl like there's like two dozen that are eclipsing 10 million a year like it's the position that it just gets paid if you're a starting level edge and even the guys that like like there's still plenty of veterans who are making in the range of six to eight like that would be on the absolute low end of what deal that you could expect i would i think at this point I think Romeo Okora signed a three-year, like twelve and a half million dollar deal. I think it won't. It may not be that much, but I think that would be like the high end of the projections that we see. I, I, I think that is a conversation worth having, though. Like, what is the price point that you would say this is as far as I would go for a player like Sam Hubbard, a guy who, by all means, is a locker room leader. He's a Cincinnati kid. He does what he's told. He, he's he's everything that you want in terms of just. Uh, a guy that you want leading your football team in the locker room. But at a certain point, the production has to speak for itself and has to justify whatever contract that you're giving to. And if you're giving a guy a ton of money for not a lot of quality sacks per year, it it is a risk. And the hope is that he continues to develop as a pass rusher and generates more pressure that's outside of just hustle plays. So I I think if you, if they give him something in the range of 11 to 12 million, it might be overpaying for what he is now, but the hope is that he continues to develop into something more. And the hope is that the improved health on the interior of the defensive line, maybe the addition of Trey Hendrickson, we all love Carl Lawson, but maybe Hendrickson brings more snaps, maybe a little bit more versatility. They're talking about kicking him inside in in certain snaps and situations. And if he can carry his momentum from last year where he was a double-digit sack guy, maybe this starts to free things up for Sam Hubbard all of a sudden, those elements. The other thing, too, is, John, I mean, remember, we've had these conversations for years in the Marvin Lewis era with Michael Johnson. Remember, he had the one explosive year. They, they like franchise tagged him and they did all this stuff. And he was like putting up like two sacks a year, four sacks a year, aside from that one double digit year where he was a fringe Pro Bowl guy because they liked his length. They liked the what he brought to the entire defensive line and the makeup, the length, the ability against the, the run. It's the same with Robert Gathers, right? Remember, Robert Gathers was another guy that were like, why do they keep paying this guy? He doesn't sack the quarterback. <laughs> Well, he was good against the run. He would come up with an occasional huge turnover that would basically win the game for a team, for the team. And it's it's a little bit of the same thing with Sam Hubbard, but you're hoping, like I said, increased health on the defensive line, increased depth uh, on the defensive line, increased depth on the defensive line, and him as a potential ascending player, you're hoping all those elements kind of collide and you, and you get a, a team-friendly deal, even though it may not seem like it when he initially inks the the contract and they're going to have the space to do it if they want to. But with Michael Johnson, they made their, they made the smart choice. They recognize that this guy's probably maxed out his production at this point. And if he gets a deal, then so be it. Tampa Bay gave him a deal. They cut him after a year. They re-signed him for a lot cheaper than what Tampa Bay gave him. I, I'm, I'm not, I think that is a great comparison in terms of just overall talent and production, but 
at, at the same time, it, it's hard to, to shake that feeling that they are going to, f- to be able to get a deal done with Sam Hubbard. I think he means a little bit more in terms of just those intangible things than Michael Johnson may have at, at that point. And also they had to pay Carlos Dunlap at that time. And I think they just chose the younger option in Dunlap over Michael Johnson. But also at the same time, they paid Trey Anderson a ton of money and you would think that could be a similar situation here, but We'll see what happens. I, I think it's still a safe bet that, that they are going to get something done, and it will be in that range. And with a player like Sam Hubbard, you can always expect them, the Bengals, to overpay on that end instead of underpaying for a guy that they value like that. Yeah, Andrew in the YouTube chat says, I'd be comfortable giving Sam four years, 40 to $45 million, any more than that. I don't think I'd do. Let's get to maybe one or two more, John. Uh, what did I – Did I? yeah, that was a text we got. What, what other ones do you see that strike you? So I, w- I wanted to – I'll finish off with, with this one on, on Twitter um, <laughs> from our buddy Bengals Sands, who just dropped his second article on all Bengals profiling Joe Mixon in a film, re- film review of him. So definitely check that out at allbengals.com. But Sands is asking us, who wins in a tag team wrestling match between us and the Locked On Bengals duo? Now, I have a plan because, unfortunately, Anthony is recuperating or he's planning to recuperate from his arm injury. So I'm willing to give Anthony um, Jake Lisko, who I don't believe <laughs> is as strong as James Rapine. They're sponsored by Built Bar, the protein bar. So they're, they're not, they've been bulking up for about a year preparing for this. Um, but Anthony, uh, you know, even with just one arm, um, his left arm, I think he can still take down Jake because Anthony is built. That's why he wears those muscle shirts. Um, me versus James. <laughs> this is a hilarious question. Oh me God. versus James is going to be a lot tougher, um, which is why I might have to sneak in, sneak in a gun um, to potentially <laughs> counter him. Like He won't expect it, so that, I guess, would be my only chance and just hope that the ref doesn't mind. So, yeah, I think that's the point of attack here. Yeah, and I, I like. I mean, those guys are both just like super nice guys. I can't see them really engaging in a fight of any kind. Maybe a uh, a, a little bit more staged WWE style type of thing. Um, <laughs> I, I could tag. I could tag. Yeah, that's a freaking hilarious question. Good lord, that is just hilarious. Um, but we love those guys. And again, happy belated birthday to Jake. Uh, he uh, he had a birthday this week, so happy birthday to him. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I've been wanting to get to this one because I know Patrick has been eager to send us this. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to sound like a just total idiot on this, but, uh, it's an email. Of course, gentlemen, Thursday is known as Bobby Bonilla day in 2000. The Mets saved 5.9 million by buying out Bonilla's contract in return. They have to pay him 1.19 million every July 1st for every 25 years up to 2035, which is just an insane thing. And also I, I read that Ken Griffey Jr. Is getting kind of a same deal until 24 from the Reds, which was, I didn't know that one really. I, I do know Bonilla's thing. That's, that's just a, in, a thing that lives in infamy, but my friend said that you were able to do this in the NFL, and Jerry Jones did this a few times. What's the logic in deferring payments when you have a hard cap? Do you want to rid yourself of bad contact contracts and dead money as fast as possible? Thank you for your insight. Someone get Andre Parada on the horn. Good Lord, get Andre on the, on the horn. But uh, look, I, I did pull up an article from SI that was from earlier this year. I think it's Andrew Brandt. I have to, I have to check and see who wrote that. But John, if you have any initial thoughts on that um, without – <laughs> I, I'm afraid I'm going to sound like a moron if I try and go into this. But uh, do you have uh, do you have some initial thoughts on this one? I wanted to get to it because I know Patrick was eager to send that our way. I think the only thought that I'm qualified to say is that baseball and NFL are just not comparable in terms of financial um, contract situations. The, the MLB doesn't have a salary cap. That's why the Yankees can dish out billions of dollars. That's why the Reds had no chance of matching Trevor Bauer's contract with the Dodgers. Teams just can generate revenue on their own and pay those players. Um, there, there's no hard cap like there is in the NFL. And that's why you don't have deferred payments up to 30 years with NFL contracts. That's like, we've seen this year um, void deal void years being used more, more frequently at the end of some of these deals. And that just kind of pushes out those payments onto the cap, but that money is still paid within a certain acceptable time period and not a whole generation's worth of time. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Bobby Bonilla is is such an interesting story that that man he he's he's the finesse king he really he really is I don't know I he was before my time I didn't know how good he was but he apparently must have been good to 
get a contract like that in the first place. And then he just fell out, but he says, I'm still going to get my money regardless. It's one of those guys that, uh, sorry, I'm going to pull this up here on, uh, had an ad come up there. Um, it's one of those players in baseball that just, you know, he had a couple of like really, really good years. And then the big market teams wanted to make a splash kind of, kind of, I mean, I guess maybe you want to make the, the Pittsburgh pirates correlation is kind of like a Jason Bay thing. Right. If you remember that guy from a few years ago, he was a guy who had a couple insane years with the pirates and then, you know, uh, gets, gets paid the big bucks and injuries and other stuff kind of take their toll. And I mean, Bonilla was in, movies and i mean he, he was in if you remember the mid 90s movie rookie of the year he was in that movie he's in, you know he was kind of a star guy along with bonds and stuff and uh you know I, he got paid the big money and it never really you know came to fruition in terms of him being the next huge thing in baseball but um you know it's it's always kind of a like wow and and when you see teams that sometimes get almost too creative with these types types of things it, it almost automatically correlates with, you know, a lack of a long-term lack of success. You know, these salary cap issues tend to plague you and that sort of thing. Here's something I did find though on SI, this is uh, kind of myths and truths, I think. And I, I got to double check. It was from Andrew Brandt, who was an NFL executive. And now I, I believe he writes for SI. He's done some stuff for ESPN. Um, myth cap gurus magically create cap room by moving it into future years. This may or may not be specifically talking about what P Patrick is referencing, but I think it is pertinent to the conversation. No, you could do that. And sorry, no, you wouldn't be a cap guru. You can take a big salary or a big bonus, not currently prorated, turn it into a signing bonus prorated. And in the stroke of the player's pen, cap room would magically appear and the problem would be deferred, although not solved. The Rams did this with Goff. The Eagles did this with Wentz. The Saints have done this repeatedly with Drew Brees. The Steelers have done this repeatedly with Ben Roethlisberger. Pain is now being felt by the first two teams and will soon be felt by the latter two some NFL teams are doing this now to alleviate some existing cap problems, continuing the vicious cycle of stacking additional proration upon already existing proration and creating more problems down the road. Again, I don't know if that's specific to Patrick's question, but I think it does kind of play into the ballpark in terms of, you know, spreading things out and trying to lessen the damage and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I guess I can kind of relate to it in some way, you know, you have some sort of ailment or injury and if you don't take care of it, you know, you kind of put it off, put it off, you go, you know, I'm going to just kind of do a little, little treatment here. I'm not going to do the full, what I actually need. I'm just going to put some stuff to let it go away temporarily. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like, oh boy, this is a big problem. Um, so <laughs> this thing with the Mets and the Bonilla thing is unbelievable that they still have, what, what was it like? 12 years on this thing that they still have yet to pay this guy. It, it, it's just crazy when you, when you say it, but the Mets, I believe are probably worth somewhere close to a billion dollars. This is a penny to them, but for Bobby Bonilla, who I'm assuming is in his forties or fifties, it's a cool mill every single year on July 1st. So I think everyone <laughs> wins in this case. A cool mill. I love it. All right, let's, let's get out of here, John. We've, we've gone almost an hour. Um, uh, Anything else you want to you want to either get to question wise or uh, anything you want to drop before we take us out of here? Oh yeah, real quick, put putting you on the spot. Um, is the Matrix a love story from our friend Logie B? <laughs> Some of these are amazing. Um, is the Matrix a love story? Well, between Neo and Trinity, is that what we're mm -hmm. what we're going with? I mean, there's elements of it. I don't think it's a, like a, it's definitely not a romance. If you're asking about genre of the of the film, I don't think it's a romance film. Um, I think there's a, an element of a love story in it, and I think obviously there's probably oh boy, this is a podcast on its own. Um, it, it, there's probably some, uh, I, I guess driving forces behind some of the things Neo does because of love. I guess. Uh, there you go. There's my there's my Siskel and Ebert impression of of things on OBI. What do you think? I believe that the Matrix is whatever Keanu Reeves wants it to be. <laughs> nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Logan. I don't think we helped you out with this debate. Yeah. Very much. Keanu's a badass. Keanu's a badass. Love that guy. 
Um, I know he's kind of got the McConaughey thing where he caught a lot of flack for maybe not being the most uh, professional actor, but a lot of stuff they both do are pretty enjoyable to watch regardless. But anyway, John, have a good fourth, bud. Uh, I think you've got some big plans you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going to see some family, going to see some friends, going to get in a pool. Should be good. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Well, good chatting with you. Good chatting with all of you. Thank you for to everybody who submitted questions, called in, texted, the whole thing. Appreciate it as always. We'll do this again real soon. But in the meantime, enjoy your 4th of July. Be safe. Have some fun. And we will see you next time on the Orange and Black Insider. Have a good weekend, John. You as well. <laughs>